The Lever. Subscriber-supported journalism that holds power accountable. As a Lever Premium subscriber, you'll get to hear exclusive bonus content from this episode and others in your feed. To become a subscriber, go to levernews.com. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from The Lever, an independent investigative news outlet. I'm your host, David Sirota. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the great airline meltdown of 2022, one of America's least popular industries, the airlines. Last week, Southwest Airlines canceled over 2,500 flights over the course of the holidays, which left thousands and thousands of travelers stranded at airports across the country. We're going to be talking to Bill McGee, a senior fellow for aviation and travel at the American Economic Liberties Project. He's one of the nation's leading experts on the airlines. He's going to help explain the entire mess and what the Department of Transportation can do to fix it. This week, our paid subscribers will also get a bonus segment. My interview with New York Times journalist David Enrich about his new book, Servants of the Damned, an expose on the world's largest law firms and their influence on some of our most powerful institutions. As always, I'm here with producer Frank. What's up, producer Frank? How was your holiday? Uh, holiday was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I got to spend some time in Jersey, uh, New Jersey, that is, uh, with my, <laughs> with my family, not the original Jersey. I didn't fly to, to the UK. Uh, yeah, where I'm from, hung out with my family, had a big Italian Christmas dinner with way, 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 way too much food. So, um, I'm probably a couple of pounds heavier, but definitely a couple of pounds happier. I would <laughs> say it sounds like a good holiday. <laughs> I got trapped in the, in the Southwest situation. That's right. You you you're part of the news cycle right now. <laughs> I, I I was I was I was in the news cycle. That's right. Where our family was going to see uh, a family in California. Uh, we don't fly all that much. Uh, we tried to fly less uh, because of climate change, especially in recent years. But this is the one trip we do every year to California, and man, it was such a mess. I mean, I had the climate classic planes, trains, and automobiles experience where the flight gets canceled and then I have to go try to rent a car and then I take an Uber up to rent the car because we were going to try to drive to California and then I get up to the rental car place and even though I have a reservation, the car is not there. I mean, it was a complete Unreal. and total nightmare. It was, it was really, it was really, really bad. I mean, Look, I know the idea of like, if you're going to travel on the holidays, you should be ready for inconveniences. Like, I get that. But I think, I, I think what happened last week was way beyond that. Like, way, way, way beyond that. It was like a microcosm of the American economy. Absolutely. And look, I feel terrible for all of the travelers, especially the families, especially families traveling with little kids. Uh, I, like, I do not wish that on anybody, especially during the holidays when you're excited to see your family and, you know, you know, just spend a little time off. But I am glad that this whole debacle has really highlighted for people just how 
terrible the airline industries in this country have become. I mean, I, I, I might have said this to you before, like the airline industry is my least favorite industry in this country. And I know that there are more evil industries. That's you know, saying like, a lot. That's really no, is I, saying a lot. Well, I, like, look, I know, I know that like the oil and gas industry is inherently more evil. I know that defense contractors are more evil, but I hate the airline industry so much because there's, there's no, consumer experience that is more nakedly abusive than when you fly on an airplane. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely 100% true. And I think it really was a microcosm of the, by the way, both the American economy and the American government. And we're going to be talking about this, but the, the American economy has created these oligopolies, these huge consolidated companies, uh, in the case of the airlines, completely deregulated, uh, the, with one regulator, uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. He's the one person in this country who has any power over the airlines. He has been begged to actually use that power and he has refused. And so have previous uh, transportation secretaries. And here we are where indus- this industry can just abuse people, just just a- whether it's price abuse, whether it's extracting fees, whether it's mass cancellations of flights. And I heard some folks being, oh, you know, it's just the weather. It's just the weather. Look, even even Mayor Pete. Uh, who is really one of the villains in this story, and we'll get into that. Even Mayor Pete said this is way beyond a weather issue. This is a consumer abuse issue. It it shows what happens when you have an industry uh, that that the government is just uninterested in regulating, and that's even being nice about it. I think the government is effectively captured. The government is uh, an enabler of this behavior, and this is what happens. And here's the thing. If people don't demand uh, change – from regulators, if if people don't demand that Congress actually change the laws uh, governing the airlines, it's going to continue. It's absolutely going to continue. So that's a, a good way to plug our our video uh, and our open letter that I hope people will go check out. Go to levernews.com slash airlines and you will see the video that we put out about what happened, about the Department of Transportation's culpability and also about our open letter detailing specific steps that Mayor Pete, I guess now Secretary Pete, the Secretary of Transportation with no transportation management experience, but steps that he can take, that he was told to take, that he can still take. That's what that open letter is about and steps that Congress can take. So let's, let's turn to uh, the uh, the overview of the story and get to the part about what could have been done and what can still be done. David, I have a question for you. So since Secretary Pete is the the lead and the only regulator of the airline industry right now, why do you think he has not realized, or maybe he has, that it would be such a major political win for him to be the guy who goes after the airline industries, which, like, as we have mentioned, is one of the most despised industries in this country. Like that seems like a political layup to me. Is there what's what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think there are three. There are a couple reasons. First of all, Mayor Pete's pedigree, Mayor Pete's formative experience. He has no transportation management experience, but he does have experience as a McKinsey consultant, a, the big consulting firm to major corporations. If you came up in your life as a McKinsey consultant, let's just put it this way. You didn't come up by pushing around powerful people. You didn't come up by telling powerful people what they had to do. You came up kissing the ass of the power establishment. 
McKinsey, by the way, after after Pete left, should be noted, McKinsey has made suggestions to airlines about how they can extract more fees from consumers. So my point is, is that first and foremost, Mayor Pete is not a person. If you need a tough regulator, like somebody who's really going to push powerful people around, like Mayor Pete is not your guy. <laughs> Mayor Pete's the guy you put in place when you don't want to push around powerful people. So I think that's one part of this. I think the other part of this is generally how close the airline industry is to the Democratic Party. If you look at the lobbyists for individual airlines and then the airline lobby group, Airlines for America, there are a lot, there are a lot of former Democratic staffers who are lobbyists now for the industry. The industry gives a lot of money to the Democratic Party. This is part of why the industry has gotten government bailout after government bailout. Uh, they are just wired in uh, to the political class. And then specifically, I, I do think Pete is looking to run for president again. And the airline industry, uh, its lobbyists, et cetera, et cetera, uh, those can be a good source of campaign cash. Those can be a good source of, of connections. Those can be a good source of political support uh, in, in a Democratic primary. So I think all of these things converge to make Pete a regulator who has refused to do his job, a regulator who has refused to regulate. I mean, that makes sense when you'd say it like that. But I still think I, I've said this for years. If a presidential candidate got up on the stump and was like, my entire platform is I am breaking up the airline industries like you're going to get more leg room. You're going to get more leg room like that would be <laughs> like that would no that like that would be one of the winningest campaigns that anyone could ever run. I in, in my opinion, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a hugely popular issue. But as I've as the old saying goes, power concedes nothing without a demand. And that's why we did what we did over the break. I mean, I took time away from my break to report that huge story about Mayor Pete being warned by state officials uh, in the lead up to this disaster. We wrote that story and then we launched our open letter at levernews.com slash airlines to try to increase the pressure on Pete Buttigieg and on congressional lawmakers to finally take some action. It's not like the steps that need to be taken are that difficult or that complicated. I mean, one of the, one of the steps we talked about is, look, just let state attorneys general sue the airlines on behalf of consumers if the airlines fuck over consumers. The, the state attorneys general, the people that we're electing to be law enforcement officials for our states are literally not allowed to do that right now. They can make a change in the law to allow that. So these are not difficult steps. And I think they're possible to actually pass, even though there's going to be a Republican House, because there were Republican attorneys general calling for this as well. I think there's a chance that this can pass, but it, it's not going to pass if everyone just goes back to sleep. If everyone just says, oh, you know, St. Pete is a great regulator and everything is fine. Th that is not the way anything is going to change. Before we get into everything that happened, what could have been done and what can be done, we're going to take a quick break. But after that break, we'll get into it. We'll also get to my interview with Bill McGee, one of the nation's leading experts on the American airline industry. Welcome back to Lever Time. Okay, before we get to our interview with one of the nation's leading experts on the airlines to explain to you what could have been done and what can be done, I want to just take a step back and, and give a little bit of an overview about why this is such an important story. So as I mentioned, last week, Southwest Airlines canceled over 2,500 flights over the course of the holidays, one of the busiest travel weeks of the entire 
year. The cancellations left up to, by some estimates, one million travelers stranded in their travel plans. Some people had no place to stay, were traveling with children, ended up without their luggage, waited for hours or even days for help from Southwest's customer service. I tried to call Southwest customer service. They would answer the phone, promise you you were going to be talking to a customer service agent, and then the the phone clicked off. I mean, that's what was going on. Now, now it's it's important to understand this came after a horrific summer travel season, which also saw thousands of flight cancellations across the airline industry. More flights were canceled in the first half of 2022 than in the entire year of 2021. That's a 42% increase. Even though average domestic airfares are up 45%, since 2019, and consumers are still waiting on $10 billion in unpaid refunds dating back more than two years. If you've ever wondered how the U.S. airline industry has become one of the most nakedly abusive industries in the country, there's actually a reason. It goes back to 1978 and the Airline Deregulation Act, which made the U.S. Department of Transportation, Mayor Pete's department, Pete Buttigieg, made that department solely responsible for airline regulation. So state attorneys general, uh, state legislatures, uh, consumer groups, no power to hold the airline industry accountable under federal law. There's zero recourse other than one person in this country to hold the airlines accountable, and that is Mayor Pete. So here's the thing. 38 state attorneys general from both parties, as we reported at the lever last week, 38 state attorneys general signed a letter to congressional leaders declaring that Mayor Pete's Department of Transportation has, quote, failed to respond and to provide appropriate recourse to thousands of consumer complaints about airlines customer service. This was after New York Attorney General Letitia James sent Mayor Pete a letter detailing all of the things that he should be doing to create deterrence to airlines mistreating their customers. And it's also worth adding that less than a year ago, Southwest had a separate breakdown, a very similar breakdown, which it apologized for and which Mayor Pete, as the regulator, did nothing about. Southwest is now paying $400 million in shareholder dividends. Southwest has paid its executives $112 million in compensation over the last few years. Southwest's meltdown was about its failure to invest in its outdated computer system. Now, I know there are folks out there who are listening to this and say, well, what, what could a mayor, what could Mayor Pete have done? Mayor Pete's not responsible for Southwest's outdated computer system. That's right and that's wrong. You're right. Mayor Pete is not running Southwest Airlines. But Mayor Pete is the one cop on the beat, the one person who is empowered to create the rules that say to airlines, if you mistreat your customers in an egregious way, you will not just end up with a corporate rounding error in terms of a fine, you will be hit really hard. You will be hit so hard that 
it will create a financial incentive for you not to fuck over your passengers like Southwest did. So what could Mayor Pete have done? He could have listened to the Democratic and Republican attorneys general, the Democratic congressional lawmakers who were begging him for months to put in place those rules and those punishments to say to all airlines, including Southwest, if you try to really, really fuck over your passengers this holiday season, you're not just going to get to go on TV and say sorry and get a little slap on the wrist. You're going to have a massive corporate problem because we the cops on the beat at the Department of Transportation have put in place new rules that elected officials across the country have been begging us to put in place. That is what could have happened. That is what did not happen. What ended up happening was Mayor Pete went on a late night comedy show a week after the letter from the attorneys general to assure Americans that everything would be fine. Listen to this clip from the Late Late Show with James Corden. Thousands of flights canceled, uh, even more delayed. It was kind of a brutal summer for travel. What can be done about this? Do you think this issue will be sorted in time for the holidays? I think it's going to get better by the holidays. We're really pressing the airlines to deliver better service. So many people have been delayed, been canceled. It's happened to me several times this summer. And uh, the, the, the fact is they need to be ready to service the tickets that they're selling. Now, the good news is, you know, the, the people are going back to the skies. They have the income. They have the inclination. We've put off holidays. We've put off trips for two years. We're finally doing it again, which is great. Uh, but... We need to make sure that the system is ready. So we're taking a number of steps. And, and if you've ever been mistreated by an airline, if they haven't given you the refund they owe you, if they haven't lived up to their customer service obligations, we will have your back. You can come to our department, uh, file a complaint, and we will we, on our website, we're making it clear right now what your rights are. And uh, even just by, we put up a new tool just a few days ago to let you know airline by airline what to expect if you do have a problem. Will they give you a voucher for a hotel if you get stuck? Will they take care of a meal? Will they rebook you on another flight? Just since we announced that we were going to post that on our website, we went from zero of the top 10 airlines committing that they were going to provide a meal or a hotel, for example, to eight out of 10 doing it. So we're, we're pushing them. They're responding. But when they actually fail to, to live up to the rules, uh, there's serious enforcement behind that. And we want to know if that's happened to you. After that, Mayor Pete continued to essentially do nothing. The largest airline carriers in the country, despite thousands and thousands of complaints, faced no fines from Mayor Pete. Again, Mayor Pete basically did nothing. To help break down more of what he could have done and more of what he can still do and what Congress can do, because this is a bipartisan issue, I talked to Bill McGee a senior fellow for aviation and travel at the American Economic Liberties Project. Bill has been reporting on the airline industry and has worked in the airline industry for decades. He is one of America's leading experts in airline regulation. Hey, Bill, how, how you doing? Hope you had a good uh, new year and a good, good holiday. Well, it was supposed to be a vacation, but it wasn't much of a vacation. The airlines are the gift that keeps giving during the holidays. 
Yes, you were you were definitely very busy uh, during this holiday as one of the few uh, airline experts out there, which is why, of course, we're talking to you today. So before we get into the details of the Southwest Airlines debacle that ruined uh, so many people's holiday, I mean, up to one million people were affected by that absolute meltdown. Before we get to all of that, let's let's like get in the time machine, fire up the flux capacitor go back in time and let's talk about what airline travel used to be versus what it is. People in this country used to love flying on airplanes. It was somewhat affordable. You'd get a decent meal. You'd have enough leg space to allow you to sit comfortably as a human being. Now the airline industry is one of the most despised industries in America. You've been studying and reporting on the airline industry for over a decade. So let's start at the beginning. How did the airline industry become what it is today? Well, it all starts in 1978 with deregulation. And I think of all the myths about the industry, the, probably the biggest one is nine out of 10 people seem to think that Ronald Reagan deregulated the industry. It actually came from the left. It came from, it was sponsored by Ted Kennedy. It was signed by Jimmy Carter. It was supported by Ralph Nader, et cetera. Um, and the idea was going to be that once the government got out of the business of scheduling flights and, and setting fares, that the free market would just make things great. And um, obviously what we have now is just about all of the promises of deregulation <clears throat> have been broken, starting with the fact that we have a more consolidated industry than we ever had. And I think that's very relevant to everything that's going on here. I testified in Congress, I think, six or seven times against mergers. Every single merger was rubber stamped. And many of us 10, 12, 15 years ago were saying, we're approaching the too big to fail level with the airlines as we as we are with banks. Well, we're past that. That argument is over. And and for me, I mean, I keep saying that it's not just that they're too big to fail. They're too big to care. Um, we have a level of concentration in this industry we have never had since 1914 when the first ticket was sold. Um, we have four major carriers, American, Delta, Southwest, and United, that control about 85% of the market. For decades, for most of the 20th century, no carrier had more than 10, 12% of the market. We have fewer airlines, we have fewer major carriers, and we also have fewer new entrants, which is actually in the very first sentence of the Deregulation Act, that there was going to be all of this new entry. We saw it for a while in the 80s, then they all went bankrupt or were merged, and so now we have greater, greater consolidation than ever. And the proponents of deregulation and the economists all said, well, the barriers to entry were too high during the regulated period from the government. Well, now the barrier to entry is too high from Wall Street because investors won't uh, put any money into new carriers because they know they're going to lower fares. And in this country, if you live somewhere where you have a low-cost carrier, you're paying less. If you live somewhere where many people do, where there are no low-cost carriers, you're paying two or three or four times more. So a lot of it goes back to consolidation, but a lot of it also has to do with oversight and with um, a broken regulatory model. And as you know, I've been very, very critical of Secretary Buttigieg in recent weeks and months and over the last year or so. But the fact is, this is a systemic problem. The DOT is a broken regulatory model. Since the first day, it was sort of baked into the DOT that it would have this dual mandate, that it would support the industry and regulate it. It's something that can't be done. It's one or the other. And by the way, the airline industry does not need to be supported by the government at this point. They are the seventh largest um, industry in terms of uh, lobbying dollars, according to OpenSecrets.org. Um, they do just fine. They have enough lawyers and public relations people and lobbyists that they don't need the government looking out for their best interests. 
Well, and we'll get to Secretary Buttigieg in a, in a second. Uh, but again, uh, j- just as prelude to that, let's now zero in on what happened last week. Last week, Southwest Airlines canceled over 2,500 flights, leaving thousands of travelers uh, and their own employees, by the way, uh, stranded across the country. I, I was one of those travelers. My family was one of those travelers who were stranded. Just to zero in on that specific situation, and it's worth mentioning that Southwest had a meltdown, a similar meltdown, maybe smaller, but but certainly a meltdown about a year ago before this one. So it's not like anyone could say they didn't see it coming. But what exactly happened last week? Other than the winter storms, what was the reason that Southwest specifically canceled so many flights? Sure. And to put it in context, it's not hyperbolic. Uh, basically, that was the worst meltdown of an airline we've ever seen in this country. As you mentioned, more than a million passengers were, were stranded. So we've never seen something of that size and scope. Um, it really was a perfect storm. But, you know, I want to stress, I, I worked in airline flight operations myself for seven years. I'm licensed by the FAA as an aircraft dispatcher. So this is what I did. I sat, I sat in a tower and I canceled flights. I scheduled flights. I rescheduled them. That's what we did. And we dealt with crises. And, and I've long said that it's not about the outside event. It's not about the air traffic control delays. It's not about the weather, the, the thunderstorm, the snowstorm. It's about how the airline reacts to it. Southwest failed with a big F last week in every way possible. Some of the problems last week were endemic specifically to Southwest. And, and, and the largest problem, it's, it's become clear, particularly from hearing from their labor unions, Southwest has refused to invest in upgrading its technology. We are talking about in the year 2022, pilots and flight attendants that were available last week to work and were eager to work had to wait on hold. Now, I could talk about customer service call centers all day and we could talk about how bad that is, but it's one thing to have a meltdown on the call centers and you can't get through. Imagine being a pilot who's qualified and ready to fly and we have this crisis and they can't get through. That is insane and it only... It comforts me a teeny little bit in this way. Uh, when I was having an apoplectic fit trying to get through to Southwest and every time I'd call, I got hung up on. It makes me feel a little better in a weird, bizarre way that actual pilots were being hung up on as well. In other words, I wasn't special. I wasn't being particularly mistreated. Like this was an epic, epic meltdown. So go on. Right. And so, you know, as I said, I've been around the industry. I started working in the industry in 1985. So I've been around this industry almost 38 years now. Never saw anything of this size and scope. But I have to tell you, I was not at all surprised because we have this, we've been building towards this and we've been building towards this for a long time. If we, if we just make the timeline much shorter and just look at, say, when COVID really kicked in March of 2020, almost three years now, this is an industry that has done what it wants with impunity. And they are not afraid of consumer backlash anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with the consolidation that I said. They're not afraid of bad media coverage because they're getting the worst media coverage they've ever gotten. And that seems to roll off their back. And most of all, they're not afraid of the government. They are not afraid of Pete Buttigieg. They are not afraid of the DOT. While I don't think anybody could have specifically predicted that Southwest was going to strand a million passengers. And yes, of course, there was bad weather. But again, I'm a dispatcher. So when I see people online saying, well, you can't control the snow, it's not their fault. I politely say, no, that's BS. Okay, this is what I did for a living. I dealt with thunderstorms. My nickname when I worked in airline flight operations was BC McGee. The B wasn't for Bill, it was for Black Cloud because I brought the bad weather with me. Every time I came to work, <laughs> there were th- people didn't want to work with me. They would change their shifts to get away from me. So there were thunderstorms, there was fog, you name it. Well, 
that's that's life in the airline industry. That's 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 an everyday occurrence. Somewhere in this country right now, there's bad weather, and you got to deal with it. Look, the real issue is that the airlines are overscheduling. They are operating at peak capacity 24-7. Transportation systems are not designed to operate like this. I wrote a book about uh, 10 years ago called Attention All Passengers, predicting a lot of the stuff that's happening now. So I've never looked so wise in my life. But it's not because I'm so smart. It's because it was clear that the patterns, if they continued. Um, one thing that hardly gets talked about is the loads. The industry called them load factors. It's, it's just the percentage of occupied seats. We're at a place now in 2022, excuse me, wrong year, sorry, 2023, we haven't been in since World War II when U.S. airlines were troop carriers and, and basically pressed into service, okay? The loads for most of the 20th century were in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So for every six seats occupied, there were four empty. For someone like me, an operations manager at the time in the 80s and 90s, that meant that if I had to cancel a flight, if I had to cancel the 430 because the plane was broken, well, then I could put them on the 530, the 630, the 730. We had options. We also had interline agreements with other airlines so that we could, you know, if we couldn't put them on ours, we'd put them on another airline. The passenger didn't pay more. The, the airlines worked out the cost difference on the back end. Now you have a system. Imagine if, you know, the L.A. freeway system at 5 o'clock in the afternoon were 24 hours a day all over the country. Imagine if the New York City subway system, you know, on, uh, on the eve of uh, 4th of July is the way it operates all the time. That is not how transportation systems are designed to operate. Now, bring on an airline executive, and I guarantee you, I know all their talking points, they will say, well, that's a good thing, because we're making more money, and therefore it leads to lower fares. Well, it doesn't, first of all. The difference between cost and fares in the industry never matches up. But the bottom line is that these systems are so brittle, they're ready to go at any time. So when you, you know, I mean, the, the, the term perfect storm has been overused in the last week, but that really was the perfect storm, not just the meteorology part of it. But um, the fact is, Southwest was so brittle that they were ready to fall apart. And they did. But I think the bigger question is, well, well, how did we get to this point? And, and I, I, I firmly believe it's because Airlines right now are just pushing things to the point where it's like, well, what's what's going to be the consequence? We're not going to get fined. We're not going to get punished. We know. So we'll see how it goes and we'll hope for the best. Do I think airline CEOs sit around, you know, with uh, twirling their mustache like in a cartoon and saying, oh, this is, you know, we're going to mess people up? No, but they're not taking, you know, the precautions to prevent this type of thing. So it wasn't a surprise to me what happened last week. And so let's talk about those, what deterrence could be put in, into place. Just to echo your point about the weather, Secretary Pete Buttigieg himself acknowledged that this that what happened with Southwest was not a weather related issue. So let's get that out of the way. But I want to focus in on him because as you've written and as is in federal law, Pete Buttigieg is effectively the only American, the only person in the country who has the authority to create real deterrence to the kind of behavior that Southwest engaged in. He is the one cop under deregulation, under federal law. He is the one cop on the beat when it comes to the, uh, to the airlines. He is the decider. He is the regulator. It seems to me, and I want to hear your response to this. It seems to me that there's been all these questions. Oh, well, you know, what could Pete have done? I, you know, how could he, what could he have done to prevent, uh, the computer failure at Southwest? My response to that in the reporting that we did at the lever is one thing he could do is put in place rules uh, and fines that would make clear to the airlines 
writ large that if you mistreat customers in the way Southwest mistreated customers, you won't just get uh, face a, a set of fines that are a rounding error. You will actually face real enforcement actions that you really, truly will not like, that will actually get in the way of the profits and the business that you are conducting so that those airline executives, when they're deciding whether to uh, pay a $400 million dividend or pay themselves $112 million in salary, when they're making those decisions and not upgrading the computer system, maybe it changes the way they make decisions. So all of that is a prelude to ask you, do you agree? And if so, what specifically could Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg have done in the lead up to this to try to at least try to deter what happened? Well, you nailed it, David. I mean, the bottom line is I've said it repeatedly in recent years. He's the only sheriff in town. And I don't think we can discuss the airline industry and its problems without this critical context. It's two words. It's a legal term. It's called federal preemption. And basically, at the last minute in 1978, when deregulation was passed and, and President Carter signed it, they added this thing that said, basically, only the federal government will have authority over the U.S. airline industry. And even more specifically, only the U.S. Department of Transportation and Congress. You have to really understand that to have any kind of conversation about what's been happening. And, and far too many people don't understand it. And I get it. It's a very geeky, legalistic term. Who knows what federal preemption is? I've talked to lawyers that don't know what it is. The bottom line in plain English means as a, as a consumer in the United States, you have fewer rights dealing with an airline than you do with virtually any other industry. You cannot sue in state courts. You cannot file class action lawsuits in, in state courts. State AGs, the attorneys general across the country, do not have any authority over the airline industry. State legislatures have passed bills to rein in the airline industry. They immediately get shut down by federal court on appeal. So what we have is the thing that we were all told in seventh or eighth grade is not supposed to happen in America, checks and balances. There are none. We have one person who is the czar of the airline industry. And, and I, as I said, I've been very critical of, of Secretary Buttigieg, and I think my criticism has been fair and accurate. But the bottom line is, he's got plenty of predecessors, too, who were the same way. And so you have this systemic problem, not years, decades, where the DOT doesn't rein in the excesses of the airline industry, and no one else can. So we do have a solution at, uh, at American Economic Liberties Project, and we're saying federal preemption has to go. Three months ago, we sat down and worked with an in-house attorney, and we wrote, we wrote legislation that said, lose federal preemption. Think about it for a moment. All of these crises with the flight cancellations, with the $10 billion in unpaid refunds since COVID started, as a friend of mine said to me, who, who also does this type of work, he said, we wouldn't even be talking about this if this was any other industry. Because if the DOT failed to act, people would have been filing class action lawsuits. You owe me money. There would have been refunds paid. The state attorney general in Colorado, Phil Weiser, he said, you know, Frontier is in his backyard in Denver. They were not paying refunds. And he said, if it was any other industry, he put out a press release. He said publicly, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. Any other industry... I'd be all over them. State legislatures would have passed laws saying, you know, you've got to rein in this industry. So you can't stress it enough. When I hear people say, well, what can the Secretary of Transportation do? <laughs> if the Secretary of Transportation doesn't act on the airline industry, there's nothing to do. We have no other choice. There's Congress, but obviously Congress takes a while. It's a long, cumbersome process. There are political considerations. It's very hard to get. I Trust me, I, I, you know, I've been advocating for legislation in Congress for, for decades now. But 
with with Secretary Buttigieg, if he had reined in the excesses a year ago, six months ago, three months ago in the summer, if he had levied real fines against the airlines. We all know that he's very eloquent and, and he has a very good presence in the media. And we've seen him a lot in the last week and in the last months. Uh, and, and what is he saying? He's talked to the airlines. He's asked the airlines. He's requested them. It's not good enough. This is an industry that has not had so much as a $1 fine at all in the last year and a half on any of these excessive and record-breaking flight cancellations. This is an industry that, in I, I mentioned the $10 billion in refunds. Well, all you have to do is go to the DOT's own database. And if you look in 2020, new records were set on complaints from consumers on refunds. And by the way, for every complaint filed with the DOT, is at least 20 or 25 that, that, that weren't filed and should have been. But um, it was 57 times the amount the year before. So it was clear that in 2020, the U.S. airline industry, I mean, think about this a moment. They basically said, we're not going to pay refunds, even the ones that we are obligated and, and required by regulation to pay. Imagine any other industry doing that. Imagine if the hotel industry said that, car rental industry, outside of travel. Imagine if Amazon said that. Imagine if anyone, you bought something online and you're told, well, it's not in stock. We're going to hold on to your money for a year. I mean, it's unacceptable. There would be lawsuits flying right and left. AGs would step in. And yet this took three years. And finally, after almost three years, Secretary Buttigieg, he keeps saying we, we, we levied rec record fines on this refund issue. Against Frontier, which carries about 2% of the, the market share in the U.S., and five very small foreign airlines. That is not the answer. United Airlines generated 10,000 complaints on refunds alone. United had more than twice as many complaints as any other airline in the country. Not so much as a, as a 25 cent fine against United. I, I cannot believe I've been around this industry, as I said, for almost four decades, which frightens me, but it's the truth. But I cannot believe that any airline CEO in the U.S. right now says, well, geez, you know, we better watch what we're doing here because the DOT is going to come down on us. On Father's Day weekend, uh, you may recall, Secretary Buttigieg uh, had a meeting, I assume by Zoom, with all the airline CEOs in the country. And he said, please get your act together. We're going into the summer season. And what happened? Two days later, it was well known he and his family were bumped off of their flight because their flight was canceled. They canceled the Secretary of Transportation's flight two days after he asked them to do better. And he wound up having to drive to his, to his destination that weekend. This is an industry that needs regulatory oversight and the regulatory model is broken. Then the question becomes, if Pete Buttigieg is the one American who has the power to actually try to deter this behavior, is the one cop on the beat. I just want to – I'm just curious what you think his reason for not doing what he has been asked to do. And I want to be very clear here. 38 state attorneys general signed a letter to congressional leaders declaring that the Department of Transportation, quote, failed to respond and to provide appropriate recourse to thousands of Americans uh, who were complaining about airline customer service. You had Democratic lawmakers in Congress writing to Pete Buttigieg, begging him to take action. You had the New York Democratic Attorney General laying out all different things that he should be doing uh, months ago before this to try to deter this kind of behavior. None of those things happened as you just detailed. So then the question that I'm sure a lot of listeners are, are thinking about is, well, why not? Why would Pete Buttigieg 
not take these basic actions that you're talking about. And I know I'm asking you to speculate here. You can't get inside of his head. But what is your educated guess as to why these things haven't been done? Well, I think for those of us that met with him uh, a year and a half ago, it's been a tremendous disappointment. I have to tell you, I came out of that meeting in July 2021 very pumped up. Um, let's not forget that his predecessor, Elaine Chow, she might have been the most uh, cold and indifferent DOT secretary to consumer issues that we've ever had. She didn't even bother, you know, giving the speeches. She didn't even bother doing the media interviews. She never once met with consumer advocates, the only DOT secretary. So Pete Buttigieg came in and we thought, well, here's a breath of fresh air. And, um, you know, we've all seen him on TV. We know he's smart. We know he's he's quick on his feet, that he's, you know, he's articulate. And we met with him. I was invited to speak on, on one issue, the issue of why children who are two years old and have autism need to sit by themselves and have to pay a fee to sit with their families. This is a slam dunk if ever there was. And he took notes and he was responsive and he, you know, he, he asked good questions. And we came out of it all pumped up and we thought, okay, now this is going to be, you know, as a new sheriff and now things are going to get better. I wish I could answer you. I wish I could tell you what it is that, that, you know, that is causing this hesitancy, but there's no question that it exists. Because, um, you know, as you said, I have never, in all my years, I have never seen such bipartisan support on an issue. I mean, I, I joke with friends that um, if anything can save America in these divisive times, it's going to be the airlines because there's such, <laughs> you know, widespread hatred of it. Um, uh, we have had conversations in recent months at American Economic Liberties Project with members of Congress from both parties and with state AGs from both parties. I, I recently spoke with a colleague. We spoke to the um, the Association of State uh, AGs. And I can tell you that there are Republican lawmakers who are just as angry as Democratic lawmakers. Um, I, I can't get in his head, unfortunately. But I can tell you that the lip service is just not true, that we are being tougher than ever on airlines and we are levying, you know, record fines. Um, there's too much asking. There's too much requesting. This is an industry that has, you know, there's no other way of putting it. They are just, you know, giving the middle finger to the American public time and time again. You know, when you say that, you get apologists that will tell you they don't want this. They don't want to cancel. No, I would hope not. That would be that would be diabolical. But that's not the that's not the bar that we're looking at here. Are they doing everything they could do, as I did when I worked in the industry, to try and have a schedule that operates 100 percent today? And if not, OK, we'll go to plan B and do the best we can. You can't be scheduling flights when you know you don't have the pilots to operate them. I mean, some people I'm not saying it, but some people have called that fraud. That you're putting, you know, flights in in uh, reservation systems. People are swiping their credit cards and paying for it, and there's a very high probability that you're not going to have a pilot to operate it. That's not acceptable. That's just that you you know that is a bait and switch of the worst kind. And then people make plans around it, and they're going to weddings and graduations and you name it, work, and they don't get there. I mean, this we are way past the point where you know the carrot is going to work with this industry. Consumer advocates meet with the DOT quarterly. And, and in the last one, I got up on my stump and I said, look, you know, enough with the reaching out and, and the asking. It's time to use the stick and not the carrot. And, you know, a DOT representative said, well, we have very good dialogue with the airlines and we're trying to work with them. Well, you're not working with them 
because they're not working with you. Amen to that. And I hope you keep, I know you'll keep pressuring them. I should mention to everybody who's listening, if you want to support that legislation uh, that Bill just mentioned, the legislation giving state attorneys general uh, and con- and individual consumers the power to hold airlines accountable, where the Department of Transportation, Secretary Buttigieg is not the only American who has that power, go to levernews.com slash airlines and sign our open letter there uh, calling for that. You can also, at that site, you can find a link to the legislation itself. Bill McGee is a senior fellow for aviation and travel at the American Economic Liberties Project, which you can find, by the way, at economicliberties.us. He's also the author of the airline industry expose, Attention All Passengers. Bill, thank you so much for taking time with us and thank you for your work on this issue. Thank you, David. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. That's it for today's show. As a reminder, our paid subscribers who get Levertime Premium get to hear our bonus segment, my interview with New York Times journalist David Enrich about his new book, Servants of the Damned. It's an expose on the world's largest law firms and their influence on some of the most powerful institutions. Basically, a lot of people, again, on the left and the right within Jones Day were just apoplectic about this and perceived, I think rightly, that this was something they were doing to help the Republican party clients seize or maintain power. And please be sure to like, subscribe, and write a review for Levertime on your favorite podcast app. One last favor to ask. If you like this podcast and our reporting, please tell your friends and family about The Lever and the work we're doing here. Forward our emails to them. Encourage them to subscribe. The only way independent media grows is by word of mouth. So we need all the help we can get to continue doing the work that we're doing. Until next time, I'm David Sirota. Keep rocking the boat.